All right, if you've got your Bibles with you this morning, or if you don't, you can follow along in your bulletins. But turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 22. If you weren't with us last week, David is now a confirmed fugitive. Okay, there's no question about it. There's no wondering about it. Is this one of Saul's fits or something like that? He is a confirmed fugitive on the run. And last week in chapter 21, on the run, we saw David engage in some practices and go to some places that, let's just say on a minimum level, are a little bit questionable in terms of what he did and the decisions that he made while he was in those places. But nevertheless, the Lord in his providence, in his sovereignty, cared for him uh, in those places and even brought good out of it in some of the Psalms that we saw that came out of those experiences from chapter 21. This week, we find David in a cave. And as he is in this cave, and the the events unfold of the first five verses here, it seems to me to mark a transition point, a little bit of a turning point in his own life, and I'll try and articulate that in uh, the passage as we work our way through it. Let me read it for us. This is the Word of God, and the grass withers and the flowers fade, and in 150 years, People won't remember us, but they'll be looking at this story right here. The Lord will remember us, but this story, this word of God endures forever. Verses 1 through 5 of 22. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt... And everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him, and he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and my mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. And he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Then the prophet Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. The ongoing gathering. I wanted to title this sermon just The Gathering but I, I recollected that I, maybe, maybe it was, uh, I don't know, eight years ago, nine years ago, I had another sermon called The Gathering because I love that title, and this is a theme that we see uh, throughout the scriptures. So this is the ongoing gathering that we see today. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's living and active, and we pray today that as we, your people, come before you and sit under your word, that you would speak to us, that you would speak to our hearts, minister to our lives and help us to see Jesus and in seeing him to grow in our love to grow in our conformity unto him and we pray in his name amen Levi was called Levi was called you remember Levi Levi aka Matthew Levi was called to follow Jesus he was a tax collector And needless to say, as a tax collector, he was unpopular with a lot of people. But he had friends, or at least he had associates, he had acquaintances. 
He had people that he could invite when he was giving a great feast for Jesus. Let me read it for you. This is from Luke chapter 5, beginning at verse 29. You don't need to turn. I'll just read it for you. And Levi made him a great feast, that is made Jesus, a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I couldn't help but think of that passage in reading the one from 1 Samuel as well. Jesus and David, both at this point in their lives, anointed but unrecognized kings essentially engaged in the same process, the process of gathering, of gathering up, of gathering by grace, of gathering their followers together who are a motley crew of scallywags that are being gathered up together around these two people. They are misfits. They're lost sheep being gathered by two shepherd kings, David in 1 Samuel, Jesus, as we turn to Luke and we read about it in the Gospels. Oh, may we delight to be a part of that ongoing gathering. Those who are being gathered up unto the king is a sweet blessing. If you have no place, the king has a place for you. This is your place. It is a place for the placeless. When I look at this story, the, the story that's before us today, and frankly, even some of the other chapters, and I just haven't men mentioned this yet because I've, I've wondered whether or not I should put this in your head or not. But when you read the story of David, it has, as it seems to me, a Robin Hood-esque quality to it. When you, when you look at what is taking place here, I can't help but have that story in my head. And even at the end of it, so David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. And, and, and all of those who are around him, that quality seems to be there to me. But of course, it's better to say, and it's more in order to say, that the Robin Hood story has a David-esque kind of quality to it. That's, that's what's happening here. I, I tried to trace the sourcing of that, and other people see the parallel, but we can't. I, I, there's no evidence of the sourcing being as specific as it seems to me it was. But in any case, around David, outcasts find belonging. And together, with David as their commander, they struggle to do what they perceive to be the right thing to do even though in the eyes of those who are in authority, it looks like the wrong thing for them to be doing or the authority would like to see them eliminated. Today, what I'd like us to do is simply look and work our way through each verse of this small section of scripture because I think that there's really treasure in each one of them for us to help us to understand the, the, the context of this gathering that's taking place here the people who are 
part of that gathering. And then even the quality of the king who is gathering up the people and then the king-like qualities that are being imparted to them as well. Let me read verse 1 again for us. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. In the Psalter, as we saw last week, so this week as well, there are two psalms that are attributed to David when he was in the cave. Now, this isn't the only time David was in the cave. In a couple of chapters, we'll see him once again in the cave. But, but there are cave lessons. There are, there's, there's cave poetry. There are cave songs, and they are Psalm 57 and Psalm 142. Psalm 142, as I mentioned, was our opening hymn this morning, trying to get the ideas before us, the lessons, the things that David learned in the setting of being in a cave. And the other, Psalm 57, was our call to worship. Now, you recognize parts of Psalm 57, surely, from uh, songs and things like that. But those two things flow out of this time, and as I said last week, I'll just say again this week, those would be great things to read later today, to, to read as a family and to talk about how those come out of this time. But the Psalms allow us to see some themes that stand out, some some, if you will, in particular, two cave realities that we're struck with. Now, we're only going to really be talking here about one sentence. That is the first sentence of this. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam, period. But what we see is that the Psalms help us to unpack what that time was like for David. What was it like for David at that moment when he was in the cave having fled from Gath and before these people start coming to him. Two fundamental realities struck him at that particular time. One, I'm alone. I'm alone. And two, I'm surrounded by danger. I've got on one side of me the Philistines who are not happy with me, and I've got on the other side of me Saul and the Israelites who are also after my life. I'm alone, and I'm in danger. And thus, appropriately, both of these psalms begin exactly where you would expect them to begin if you were in that place. Use your imaginations here for a moment. Can you just see an image at the moment of David in a cave by himself with, with those enemies all around him? Well, the psalms then begin, Psalm 56. Be gracious to me, sorry, 57. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. And then Psalm 142 begins exactly the same way. With my voice I cry out to the Lord, with my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. When you're alone, when you're feeling in danger, what do you do? You cry out to the Lord. You cry out to the Lord for his mercy. And, and let me just take these two themes just and toggle back and forth for him for a moment. The, the theme of his aloneness and the theme of his perception of his danger and his lack of any aid. In the aloneness, in, in Psalm 142, he has these words. Look to the right and see, there is none who takes notice of me. 
Nobody even notices me anymore. No one cares for my soul. I'm alone and nobody cares about me. In his danger, in his danger, he says all sorts of metaphors to help us understand it. He says, my persecutors are too strong for me. I'm surrounded. It's like I am in a pit. It's as if I am in a trap. It is as if I, as if I am surrounded by lions. And the word he uses is, I have no refuge. There's no safety for me. There's no place of protection for me. In other words, if we're going to be talking about the gathering, then the context of the gathering that, that takes place is a man who is desperately lonely and sees clearly the danger that is around him. The context for the gathering is a man who is ungathered by himself, not with anyone else. And so as he pours out his cry to the Lord, as he asks the Lord in that setting for mercy, don't think of the cave as going camping. Gee, caves are cool. I'd like to explore this cave. I'd like to go splunking down in this cave. That's not the point. He's alone and he's afraid. And in that aloneness, the Lord meets him. God responds to him as he's pouring out his heart to the Lord. And there's two parts to God's response. In the aloneness, God says, wait, wait, wait. I'm with you. You, you are not alone. I am your portion. And I'm with you in my steadfast love and faithfulness. Those are words from the call to worship this morning. I am with you in my steadfast love and faithfulness. David, you are not alone. Secondly, David... Secondly, David, you are also not without protection. Because David recognizes, as he pours out his soul, that the Lord himself is his refuge. In Psalm 57, it says, For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. In Psalm 142, essentially the same thing. You are my portion. In other words, what the Lord says is, David, I get it. There's no, no one else with you. You don't have a home right now. You're living in a cave. But David, I'm with you, and I'm your refuge. I am providing for you. But that's not all. God, God assures him in the first place that he, God himself, is with him. But then, in addition to that, God provides for David earthly comfort. In his aloneness, God provides him with company. In fact, the very last phrase, the last words of Psalm 142, having, having said there's no one who notices me, no one cares for my soul, the last phrase is this, the righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. The righteous are going to surround me. One can imagine David starting to pen those words. The righteous will surround me as he sees his family coming to join him in that place, as he sees this ragtag group of people coming to join him in this place. 
God is providing people for the gathering. Not only himself, but people as well for the gathering. And then in the danger, what David comes to recognize in 1 Samuel and then in the Psalms as well, is that not only is God his refuge, God in the first place is his refuge, but that the cave in and of itself is a provision from God as well. It in and of itself is a place of refuge. Last week we saw how uh, David secured the bread and that was daily bread. That was simply God providing for him. Well, David's able to see that same thing with respect to this cave. Now, if you read the Psalms, you'll see that David considers it at places to be a pit, as I've said, or also a prison. And one can imagine how a cave might be seen as a prison when you've got enemies that are surrounding you. But as we saw, if you paid attention to the way this was written in 1 Samuel 22, it's also called a stronghold. When David was in the stronghold, so, so, so a cave of loneliness and of fear and of danger is, is transformed into actually a fortress. That's the way that word is translated usually in the Psalms. It is a fortress. And so for David in a cave alone, he learns two things. A, I'm not alone. And B, I'm not unprotected because the Lord is my rock and my fortress. You've provided this cave, you've provided these people, you've provided place and people for the gathering. And it's true for him. It was true for Elijah. And it's true for us as well. We are not as, lo as alone as it may seem to us at times. Verse 2. And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him, and he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. What a collection of people are described here. Just trying to imagine what that looked like in the moment when it was taking place. Variously called the discontented, the disenchanted, the mistreated, the hard-pressed, that, that, that phrase, the bitter in soul, the bitter in spirit, just by way of reminder, that is the same thing that characterized Naomi in the book of Ruth, when she says, call me Mara, for the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. In fact, that description of bitter in soul is the description in the beginning of 1 Samuel that is applied to Hannah. Hannah, in her situation, is described as being bitter in soul. And these people are being drawn to David, being gathered, quote, a motley kaleidoscope of social riffraff, malcontents, folks in debt or distress, a ragtag body. Uh, that's my guy I love, Ralph Davis, describing this. A motley kaleidoscope of social riffraff. What a beautiful picture. What an unusual picture. The humble king receives the humble, humiliated, outcast people of the world. 
a couple of weeks ago, uh, I had us sing as a closing hymn, uh, the, the, a musical version of Psalm 45. And Psalm 45 is the royal wedding. And in that Psalm, everyone for the royal wedding is dressed in their best, in their, in their royal finery. Everyone looks great in Psalm 45 as they gather together. But here at the cave in Adullam, it seems to me we have a picture of exactly what Jesus is describing in the parable that we read earlier from Luke chapter 14. This is the reality. The crippled and lame, the outcasts come, and they come to the king, and they come before the king, and they're looking for something, for some sort of belonging, for some sort of purpose, for some sort of protection, unity, provision for them. Have we come? Have we come? Have we joined with that rabble in coming to the king? The great humble king issues the summons that goes out to every generation, to every place around the world. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You'll find rest for your souls in coming to me. As these people come to, J to David, that's exactly what is taking place. It's a precursor of exactly what Jesus is saying there. These are the people I want. These are the people I'm calling out of the world. Not the righteous, not the ones for whom everything is fine. I'm calling the misfits and I'm calling them to come unto me. And I've noted in the introduction that I think this begins to mark a transition for David. David, in, in, in the chapter before this, was predominantly, as we saw, concerned for his own welfare. How do I, how do I get out of these situations? How do I secure some provision? How do, I, how do I find protection? But here we see an emerging concern for others. It helps us to see the quality of the gathering, this concern for others, because it begins to ca characterize that gathering and the people who are in it. David doesn't ignore this group of people who are coming to him. He doesn't look at them and say, who are you guys? <laughs> I can't take care of myself right now. What am I going to do with all of you? What am I going to do with all of your debt? What am I going to do with all of your bitterness of soul? I've got my own bitterness of soul. Thank you very much. I don't need a bunch of people bitter of soul gathering to me right now when I'm in a cave on the run. He doesn't say that. David becomes their captain. He becomes their commander. He's beginning to grow into kingship. And he doesn't leave them as they are, but instead, David takes this group and forms them into a body. This is the, these, this is the seeds of what we come to know as David's mighty men. It's, it's being formed right here by these people coming together and by David not allowing them just to exist in their individualism, but instead of forming them up together into a body. But in addition to forming them, David is also reforming them from what they were. Perhaps we could say they were 
coming together as kind of like a band of brigands. And we can look at other places of scripture where when worthless fellows come together under a leader, that doesn't work out so well. Everybody stays kind of worthless and gets more worthless by being around such a leader. Book of Judges, you can see some of that. But David transforms them, reforms them into a band of brothers, a band of brothers in the Lord. They come as sinners, and together the king and this company of men will learn and will struggle to walk in the ways of the Lord. That's what they'll be together doing. And is this not what Jesus does with us? We, we come to Jesus, and when we come to Jesus, we have no other choice. We come to Jesus as a brigand. We come to Jesus as a sinner. We come to Jesus as one who is essentially in love with ourselves. I'm in love with myself, and he forms us. He begins to work in us a concern for others, and he knits us into a body, and in that body, he reforms and transforms us as our commander and as our host, the one who says, my place is your place. It's not much, it's a cave, but my place is your place. Verses 3 and 4. And David went from Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and my mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. And he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. David's family surely came to him because at this point they feared that the anger that Saul had for David would become transferred to them as a family as well. That in their connection with David, Saul would probably, uh, in a fit of rage, come after them as well, or send somebody after them to eliminate them. And in this action that we see here in these two verses, taking them to Moab, we see David again growing in his concern for others, not just for himself, but in his concern for others and obeying the fifth commandment. He recognizes that even though this is a stronghold of the Lord, this is new, no place for his older parents. That, that as much as the Lord may provide for him, there's got to be a better provision somehow, a more secure provision for his parents. And so he heads to Moab and entrusts them to care there. Now, we don't have any statement of the reason for why Moab. Why, why did you go to Moab? But if we, if we think a little bit about it, I think we can imagine that one of the reasons David goes to Moab is, of course, because his great-grandmother was Ruth the Moabites. And so David, presumably here, recognizes the value, the providence of an old family connection that God established long ago through a series of circumstances that would seem to us to be happenstance and bad happenstance. And yet here, it's going to provide a place of safety for his parents. Verse 5. Then the prophet Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. Now, in, in thinking about this verse, I'd like us to just include a phrase from the one 
right above it as well, where David, talking to the king of Moab, says, till I know what God will do for me. These verses, we could read over them very quickly, but they actually are showing to us something very important. They're showing David in submission to the word of God, in submission to what the prophet has instructed him to do, the significance of which is seen for us as we compare it with Saul's great sin. What was Saul's great sin? What, what, what was it that lost the kingdom for Saul? It was that he didn't listen to the words of the prophet. He didn't do what Samuel had instructed him to do. And David, in listening to God, shows himself to be what he is described to be, namely a man after God's own heart, who is seeking and accepting the Lord's will for his life. Now, as we all know, if you've read the story before, even if you listened last week, David's not going to work this out perfectly in his life. He is not going to be able to follow the will of the Lord every time in his life. He will fail, but he will struggle, and he will repent, and all of that helps us to see why it is so important for us to have another king, and, and why Jesus makes such a point, as we saw when we were in the Gospel of John, of saying, I seek to do the will of him who sent me. I do the will of him who sent me. I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Jesus says that in those exact words over and over again in the Gospel of John. Why? Because it's essential that the earthly king submit himself to the word of the Lord, to the law of the Lord, to the instruction of the Lord. David, in listening to Gad, is anticipating King Jesus, the good king under the authority of the word. And thus, Jesus is the king we need, the king we can trust. He becomes for us a perfect host, a faithful shepherd to gather us together, and a faithful commander to defeat our enemies. He takes us tax collectors and sinners the lonely, the oppressed, the sick, and the poor, and he gives us a seat at his table with a promise that in so doing, I will form you up. I will gather others to be with you, and I will transform you into my image. These are sweet lessons from a king in a cave about the sweetest king gathering his people. On the front of your bulletin, Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Praise God that Jesus receives sinners and eats with us. Jesus said, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. And so the gathering continues, and our calling is to join with him, to join the gathering, and then when we have opportunity, to invite others to come to the gathering as well. Lord, we pray that you would welcome us 
that you would help us to having received you, having come into your presence, having been received by you to delight in being in your presence with our brothers and sisters and made like you. And we pray that you would enable us to invite others in the manner that you have instructed us, to associate with the sinners and the tax collectors and the lame, to seek out those who are misfits in our world and to call them, to invite them, to present to them the call that you give to them to a place where rest for the soul can be found. We pray that you would do that in us and we pray that you would do it through us as well in Jesus' name.